don't think that mastery is a place you get to. It's a process. It's like the caterpillar to the butterfly. In between, it's a gooey mess in a, in a cocoon or a chrysalis. But life is full of transitions. It's just that, frankly, when we get to midlife, we somehow think that we're supposed to have the mastered ability to go through a transition. When, in fact, a lot of people shut down because they realize they don't know. And, and it's okay not to know. And it's okay to actually look like a fool. You know, when you were going through your foolish puberty period, everybody laughed at you. And, and, and you know, we all doing it together. Well, why couldn't we do the same uh, in midlife? And there's, you know, the stakes may be greater because you've got kids and you've got a reputation to uphold, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, that process is almost stunting people's growth in midlife. Seventy-six million Americans are baby boomers, born between 1946 and 1964. You might assume that this cohort is careening into retirement, but with higher life expectancies, the demographics of the American workforce are changing. By 2020, 25% of employees in the United States will be at least 55 years old. But here's the rub. Today's workplace worships youth and technology. The median age of the Facebook employee is 28. For Airbnb, it's 26. Our youth-oriented tech culture leaves so many people feeling invisible, undervalued, and threatened by younger workers. Chip Conley is out to change that notion and liberate the term elder from the stigma of elderly and embrace the value that age brings to one's life, career, and to the workplace. Throughout his career, Chip has mastered the art of self-renewal, leveraging his experience and emotional intelligence to bring value to those around him. At age 26, he founded Joie de Vivre Hospitality and turned it into the second largest boutique hotel brand in the world. He serves on the boards of Burning Man and the Esalen Institute. More recently, in 2012, Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, asked Chip to join the company's executive committee, where he made an indelible mark on building the company's culture. His experience at Airbnb inspired his new book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, and the establishment of the Modern Elder Academy in Baja, the world's first midlife wisdom school that helps people tap into the wisdom that comes with age and learn how to apply it in new ways. In today's episode, we talk to Chip about how to thrive in the second half of your career and embrace aging as a path to growing whole instead of growing old. I'm Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. I have spent my life doing, uh, being predominantly a a social alchemist and in the form of hospitality, whether it was a boutique hotelier or for almost six years now as a senior person at Airbnb, mentoring the founders and leading part of the company. And now I am founder of something called the Modern Elder Academy uh, down here in Baja, which helps people in midlife navigate their transitions. But I think in terms of who I am, like underneath all that, I, I, you know, I called my my company, my first company, Joie de Vivre, which means joy of life. Yeah, it's for someone that's done as many things as you have, you've got to find this common thread that weaves through all of those different things. This is what you bring to the world. You provide people with joy. Well, there's a, there's a great old, I think it's a Mark Twain quote, the two most important days of your life are the 
the day you were knew when you were born and the day when you figured out why you were born or something along those lines. And that why question, that question of like, what is it that you're on the earth to do and what could you become world-class at is a really fundamental question. I, I wish we did a better job in people's younger years, helping them imagine that, you know, I was lucky enough in my twenties to figure out that, uh, being in the business of making people feel joy or helping them feel joy felt like, uh, the right path for me. Yeah. And now that notion of bringing joy to people in midlife and beyond is, is a passion for you. And it's the tricky phase of life. I'm getting to that place myself. And I want to unpack that a little bit, this notion of the modern elder. Can you describe what that, that term means to you? The origin is that six years ago, uh, the founders of Airbnb had this little tech startup and they wanted to become a, a hospitality brand globally. And they brought me in to help mentor Brian and then Brian, the CEO, uh, one of the founders. And um, I joined the company and immediately realized, oh my God, I'm twice the age of the average person here. I was 52 and the average age of the person there was 26. Uh, and I was reporting to Brian, who's 21 years younger than me, while also mentoring him. So it was an interesting situation. What I, what I realized in a tech company, having never been in a tech company, I could pretend to know what they were talking about. I had to be as much of an intern as I was a mentor. And so what did that mean? It just meant that I had to be curious and wise at the same time. And so I, I believe in, in uh, a modern elder is different than the traditional elder. The traditional elder of the past was held in reverence. Uh, and the modern elder is appreciated for their relevance. And that relevance in the form of having some timeless wisdom, but applying it to modern day problems. So it does require a certain amount of um, learning and curiosity about the way the world works. So they started calling me the modern elder at Airbnb, and ultimately uh, I ended up starting to write a book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And while I was writing that book, I started imagining the fact that we don't really have much of a safe social crucible for people in midlife going through transitions to come together and try to figure out you know, how to repurpose their life if they're in the midst of a transition, whether it's a divorce, an illness, uh, it changing a career, empty nest syndrome, menopause, whatever it is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of transitions in midlife. And yet, um, unlike most other periods of people's lives, we haven't really created some kind of celebration or ritual during this time. It's funny because you mentioned the word elder and it sort of has two very different connotations for me, this notion of of the elder as someone with knowledge and held in high esteem. But then on the other side, we have this word like the elderly. And the and, and at least like in the modern context, the elderly feels to me as like, oh, well, that's someone in an assisted living home that, that's not really contributing to society anymore. They don't maybe have the same value to society as they once did. And it's sort of like you're reclaiming the word in a whole different way. Yes. First of all, I, I don't think elder without the modern piece uh, it sh is a great word because it almost speaks to patriarchy in the past. And so I think modern elder is, you know, that nice oxymoron of current day and um, ancient or, you know, or current day and timeless. But the reason I think it's relevant is we have five 
generations of the workplace for the first time. And, um, and power is cascading to the young like never before because of our increasing reliance on digital intelligence. And yet we somehow expect these young digital leaders who are founding companies and growing them globally overnight and becoming billionaires, we expect them to somehow miraculously embody the relationship wisdoms and leadership skills that we older workers have had decades to learn. So I think the idea of pairing a brilliant young technologist potentially with a someone with uh, a few, two or three extra decades uh, of experience is not a bad idea, not because the young person is not an adult, but because the young person has great potential. And this is just to help support their potential. And I think elder as a word is a relative word. It means it's relative to who you're surrounded by. You could be an elder at age 40 if you were surrounded by 20-year-olds. As it pertains kind of the, to this baby boomer generation that is huge and moving into later life, right? If power is moving 10 or 15 years younger and we're all going to live 10 or 15 years older, we've created this irrelevancy gap that's like 20 to 30 years long. And so there are a lot of people who are, let's say, 45 to 65 is what used to be middle, uh, middle age or, or midlife. Today, midlife is almost 35 to 75 because some people start feeling irrelevant earlier and a lot of people are going to work longer. So there's a lot of people that I've met who are, let's say, 45 and older, who are feeling a bit anxious and bewildered by an era in which power is moving younger and they know they're going to live longer. So the idea of how do you reinvent yourself is in midlife is not new. People have talked about it for a long time. And, it's, and frankly, I think even reinvents a little too strong of a word. It's really just repurpose yourself actually figure out what you've gotten good at and then figure out how you repurpose it out there in the world where people could use it. And it comes right kind of organically out of your personal experience. I mean, okay, so six or seven years ago, you meet with Brian Chesky, you know, you guys hit it off. Uh, obviously, you found him to be an inspirational young leader. So you took a leap of faith and all of a sudden you're on this team at Airbnb. And, you know, from the outside, that company looks sort of like this hospitality company, but my sense is it's really like kind of a tech company. What did you bring into that company that perhaps they they lacked to no fault of their own? I mean, really just because they didn't have the experience. Well, first of all, I was brought in to help become a hospitality company, but I learned pretty quickly that a lot of my hospitality knowledge was old school boutique hotel knowledge. Like how many, how many rooms does a maid clean in an eight-hour shift didn't matter a lot in the home-sharing world. So my, my fact knowledge didn't matter a lot, but my process knowledge mattered a lot. And process knowledge means how do you get things done around here? And because I worked in an organizational context, I understood what do you do to make sure you're doing things in a process where people are actually sort of brought along. But also being able to sit in a room with a collection of people and read people and their underlying motivations well enough to understand what it is that's important to them. So that was important. Another thing that was important is I think the first half of your life is about accumulating and the second half of your life is about editing. And so Airbnb is a really serious editing job on our strategy. And um, I, I wasn't hired for strategy. Ultimately, about a month into it, Brian said, you know what, you're the head of global hospitality, but now you're the head of global hospitality and strategy. 
because I like the way you think. The idea of listening, there's a great old phrase, which is knowledge speaks and wisdom listens. And so in many ways, I think I was appreciated because I was really good at listening to people about what they want to do with their career or what they want to do with their team, et cetera. So I, over the course of my almost six years there, I've, I've mentored over 100 people at Airbnb. And often it's been a mutual mentorship. I'm learning as much from them as they are from me. But I think the part that they appreciate from me is a lack of judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also a, a Montaigne quote that I, I might totally bastardize, but it's it's essentially you can be knowledgeable through other men's knowledge, but you can't be wise through other men's wisdom. Mm, interesting. I like that. In some ways, I mean, wisdom in that sense is not sort of just the accumulation of facts. It's almost like more of a moral character, right? It's almost being able to have the presence to know what your deficiencies are as much as where, where you're strong. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, you know, it's like, it's like knowledge and wisdom are, very, are two different things. Knowledge is almost like an addition equation. It's plus, 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 plus. Wisdom is the opposite. Wisdom is actually a division equation. So it's like taking all of that knowledge and then distilling down what's important and what's the essence of something. And, and I think you can do that when you've been around longer. One, one other fact that's really a lot of people don't know is when it comes to the um, aging brain, we know that as people get older, their brain is not as good at, at recall uh, and, and quickness. Um, so, you know, you just, you take longer, but the thing that a brain gets better at as the, it ages is, um, all wheel drive. So you can literally be more adept at going from left brain to right brain and back and forth and back and forth, which means that you can get the gist of something or holistically think and, um, synthesize things faster. So whereas I may not have the recall of who was the 15th president of the U S like I did 25 years ago. But my ability to actually listen to someone or listen to a collection of people, get the gist of what's being said and synthesize a solution that's distilled down to what's most important is something that a person does better as they get older. Mm. So you're saying that you have a, a better ability to see the essence of things and not necessarily things in their distinct component parts that in a way you can see the why in a way that maybe younger people don't see quite as easily. Yes. I think that there's the why as well. Yeah. It's the, sometimes it's the underlying meaning. Um, it, you know, when it's listening to someone one-on-one, it's listening for the story, not just to the story, which means that you can sort of see the thread or the theme that's actually woven into it. Um, that may not be as obvious to others. You begin to step into this role as mentor. Was that easy for you, given the fact that you were always kind of like the guy? You know, you were the CEO, you were the, it was about you. You were the center of the universe, you were the nucleus, and there's electrons kind of flying around you, but, you know, things kind of, you know, started and stopped with you. Was that a difficult transition now to be more focused? on the growth of other people around you um, versus yourself? Well, there's two parts to that question. Um, one part of it was not difficult, and that is that 
in my early years, uh, you know, running my own company, I was mentoring a lot of people, and I, I really did my best to create an incubator for entrepreneurs where people really got smarter based upon just you know mentorship. The second part is absolutely true, though. It was really difficult moving out of the role of being the face of the company and having my identity attached to sort of being the person who got all of the attention to moving to the like moving moving from the sage on the stage to the guide on the side and basically being the person on the sidelines helping to support these three young founders to become as effective and successful as they could be um, it did require some right sizing of my ego it meant um, having a different sense of like what was what made me feel proud. I mean, it's sort of like having kids, you know, when you have kids, you start feeling the sense of pride in your kids. And so there's a, there was an element for me of being open to the fact that I was no longer trying to be the most interesting person in the room, but I was more the, more the most interested person in the room. So I was the person who really wanted and supported you to be successful. And that, that part, the mentorship piece of that wasn't too difficult the ego and public side of, you know, uh, the acclaim took me a little while. And it also took me a little while to, you know, sit in meetings where Brian was running the meeting, 21 years younger than me. So I really learned to intern publicly and to mentor privately. And that meant that, you know, when I was giving feedback to someone who was you know, a couple decades younger than me, they didn't feel like their, their, their father was, you know, embarrassing them in front of, in front of their friends. That's interesting. If you're sitting there and you're biting your tongue in a way, the process probably created a tremendous amount of trust between the two of you. Yeah. You know, it, it was really interesting. There was a beautiful um, interview that we did on my book tour at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco. It was me and Brian on stage with a woman named Julie Hanna, a technologist, interviewing us. And it really gave us the opportunity for the first time in the almost six years we've worked together, worked together to show what we did in private in public because Brian would come over to my house all the time and I have a co uh, backyard cottage and we'd go there and sometimes for hours at a time, three or four hours, we would meet and talk about things and all of a sudden we took what we did in private and we took it on public on stage and it was a, it was a beautiful experience to sort of show the mutual mentorship, because it was really both ways. I think that there were so many things I learned from him as well. And I think that's really, to me, that's the future. Typically, as one gets older, it's not just that one's bones ossify. Uh, one's brain and one's soul, to some degree, can ossify too. And you can essentially lose the curiosity to grow and to learn. How do you stay open? How do you stay curious? What are those techniques that you're using at Modern Elder Academy that break people open and allow them to continue to grow even in mid, mid and late life? Well, there's a kind of asking questions, a, a, a method called appreciative inquiry. And a, a, appreciative inquiry is it's a way for people to um, use their questions so that they can be catalytic. 
um, and so that they are, are actually having the means of helping people imagine possibilities. Uh, you know, a, a question can be an illumination, it can actually, or it can shut someone down, depending upon how a question is asked. I think the key is just understanding how do you, how do you tap into your underlying curiosity? What is it in your life that you're curious about? And then how do you use that curiosity and passionate engagement to show up with your energy? There's one of the things that's been really interesting is I've had a lot of people in midlife ask me, how do you interview for a job and try to pretend that you're, you know, younger than you are? And, and, you know, like whether it's Botox in the face or whether it's, um, it's, you know, the wardrobe you wear or the language you use. And, um, you know, what I believe is the following is when you show up with curiosity and passionate engagement, your wrinkles disappear because what shows up in their place is your energy. And, and when I say energy, I, I don't just mean the, the woo-woo side of energy, although that's part of it. But the energy is like literally this person's like on it. This person's engaged still. This person is not slowing down. And that sense of energy is what people are often looking for. I mean, I, you know, as, so, as a number of people have said, uh, some publicly in the media, if Travis at Uber had had a modern elder next to him like Brian did at Airbnb, he might still have his job as the CEO of that company. So I think that, the, that more and more venture capitalists and private equity firms who are investing in these young, brilliant geniuses with their business ideas are, are imagining not just having, you know, sort of people on their board that will help give some influence, but they're actually literally embed a senior leader or two or three or four, a modern elder um, in the organization, you know, hire a CFO who's, you know, in his fifties or her fifties, hire a CMO who's got 20 years of experience, but don't hire them just because they're old, hire them because they are wise and curious at the same time. So those two qualities, curiosity opens up the door and it opens up possibility. Wisdom distills it down to what's important. So one is opening up, the other is distilling down. And that combination of curiosity and wisdom properly matched with uh, young people with big ideas and a lot of ideas um, can, be, can be really helpful. As one person said to me the other day, said, like, you're like – you're creating a new verb. It's you're humaning. You're someone who just helps to human people, which means that you know, in essence, our peak as a human physically is in our 20s. Our financial peak in terms of salary tends to be about age 50, although in, in the Silicon Valley, it's 45. But our peak as a human in terms of understanding ourselves and, the, and you know, having the pattern recognition of ourselves and others uh, and our emotions is later in life. It's probably our 60s and 70s, or maybe 80s. Yeah. So tell me a little bit um, specifically about the academies. There's one in Baja. What happens, and how do you go, and what's the experience like? First of all, it's a social enterprise. So half the people, more, more than half the people, are on some form of scholarship. But the idea is people arrive on a Sunday, and they leave on a Sunday. And in, in between, they learn a lot of the things from my book, but we've taken what's in a book and turned it into an experiential workshop format. People learn how to shift their mindset. At the end of the week, they learn about what does it mean to shift your mindset and what value comes from that. Um, because people come into the, into the workshop 
with certain mindsets. And during the course of the week, we help people to shift out of that mindset, partly by really helping them reestablish and clarify what their their mastery is. Let me use an example. Uh, one of my friends, Mike Riley, I went to I went to college and with him, he was a fraternity brother of mine. Mike, for 20 years, was in the golfing industry. He was a sports agent for some of the best golfers in the world. 20 years into it, he um, lost his job because the company got sold. Private equity firm bought it, and they got rid of everybody who was senior and had big salaries. So all of a sudden, Mike was trying to figure out what, at age 43 what to do next, and he felt like the only thing he'd ever done was golf, and his father had been president of the PGA. So this is like a hard thing for him to figure out. And then he realized, okay, maybe I'll go into sports management. He got a master's in sports management. But he didn't totally love that. And it finally, years later, it took a long time, he finally realized that the number one thing he was doing while being a sports agent to these famous golfers who in their 40s were no longer going to actually be on the tour, but were going to instead design golf courses, um, license their name for products, uh, go out and give speeches or write books. He realized that the main thing he was doing is that he was a professional career coach for people in midlife. And so that ultimately led him to becoming the CEO of UC Berkeley's executive education program, which is predominantly people in midlife trying to figure out what they're going to do next. Isn't that funny? I mean, in some ways, we're so busy doing that it's not always clear, you know, what our personal mastery is. I mean, if I even just kind of look back at my own career, you know, I was promoting music shows and putting bands on tour in front of big audiences and at festivals. And then that inspired me to start, you know, Wanderlust, where we were then really promoting and producing these festivals all over the world, um, now kind of into Commune. And when I, I think, you know, as I've had a little bit more time to self-reflect, it wasn't ever really about the music business or, you know, the wellness business or a digital online platform. For me, it was about convening people, creating community. You know, that's just what I am instinctively drawn to. But it took me a long time to actually put my finger on what my real calling was. I, I don't want to use the word mastery because I think I'm still working on it. But um, it is, I think it is funny that we don't always know we're instinctively drawn to the things that we're best at, but we don't always really know what they are. Mm -hmm. My piece of advice for you, if you want it, is don't think that mastery is a place you get to. It's a process. Absolutely, the fact that you're not there yet doesn't mean that you're not you're not in the process of becoming a master. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I think more than anything, being willing. You know, the thing that we talk a lot about in the academy is is being willing to be liminal. To be liminal is to be in between two things. It's in transition state. It's like the caterpillar to the butterfly. In between, it's a gooey mess in a, in a cocoon or a chrysalis. But life is full of transitions. It's just that, frankly, when we get to midlife, we somehow think that we're supposed to have the mastered ability to go through a transition. When, in fact, a lot of people shut down because they realize they don't know. And, the, and it's okay not to know. And it's okay to actually look like a fool. You know, when you were going through, you know, your foolish puberty period, everybody laughed at you and, and, and you know, we all doing it together. Well, why couldn't we do the same uh, in midlife? And there's, you know, the stakes may be greater because you've got kids and 
you've got a reputation to uphold, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, that process is almost stunting people's growth in midlife. Mm. It's sort of maybe we lose the um, the willingness to be vulnerable. I mean, you know, you you have this wonderful kind of phrase of, you know, we the people need to grow whole instead of grow old, right? Yeah. yeah. And in some ways, to me, that means having a full kind of serene confidence about who you are and your path in the world and being open to being vulnerable, even when you're 55 years old and you're supposed to know everything. And you, I mean, I, I've started using vulnerability kind of as a synonym for courage. Mm, mm, um, I love that. It's almost the same thing. I mean, from a, whether you're a soldier walking into a battle or, you know, you're walking into a situation where someone might have more power than you. It's almost always the same thing. And, um, and it's hard to do that. It's hard, but it is, it's doable. I can just, I can vouch for that. So even though we're of a similar generation, I do look, you know, to you and your career and how you've been able to, um, you know, navigate a lot as a role model and as a mentor. Thank you. Could it be that the secret to thriving in our midlife is, as Chip said, learning to marry wisdom and experience with curiosity, a beginner's mind, and a willingness to evolve? More and more global companies helmed by young people are starting to truly value the knowledge that comes with age and experience. Lest we forget, while technology will continue advancing, the human-centric skills that mid-career workers possess, like good judgment, specialized knowledge, and the ability to collaborate and coach and listen, will never expire. So perhaps it's time to retire that old fearful mentality of being threatened by the digital natives nipping at our heels and instead opt for a shift in perspective. Thanks for listening to The Commune Podcast. I'm Jeff Krasno, and I'll see you next time.